What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 119 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roll, and it's been too long since I've had this person on the podcast. Good friend of mine, good friend of the program, Zach Dillard of Fox Sports South. What's up, man? I'm sure all the Talking Chop listeners are chomping at the bit to listen to me ramble on for way too long, but I'm happy to be back, and uh, good to hear from you, bud. Yeah, uh, you and I talk all the time, but not not in this particular format, and it's nice to have you. Uh, you know, lots of stuff to hit on. This is a very weird week. We can probably just start with what actually transpired. It was a two and three week, and if you said that, you probably would not have guessed that it was uh, two wins sandwiched around three losses and a, a losing series against the Orioles over the weekend. But I guess, I mean, things would be more negative today if they had if they had not come out with a victory on Sunday afternoon. But they finally, you know, they finally managed to beat the Orioles at least once on the diamond, and as a result of that. Still leading the East, still in pretty good shape. But uh, what was your takeaway from this week that was sort of a pretty strange two and three performance? I mean, you never want to give up games to sub five hundred teams, but I do think the the conversation around the Braves has something to do with the shifting expectations for this team. And I think if you go to you know my preseason predictions, your preseason predictions, most people's preseason predictions. Where they're standing right now is pretty good. And oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> I, and I know that this is a two and three stretch against some pretty poor teams from the AL East. But they're in the middle of a really long stretch against some really bad teams, and they're seven and four in that stretch so far. They don't have some of their top pieces. Uh, Acuna, we're going to talk about, I'm sure, in a minute. Hopefully, coming off the DL here soon. Mike Fultonevich hasn't been available. Mike Soroka. So I think you look at the seven and four stretch of the last eleven games. Just looking at the five game span hasn't been that good for them, but overall they've played pretty well. And of course, over the course of the season, they're they're far outpacing anybody's expectations. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I can't remember who, who tweeted this, but somebody was talking about how like how crazy it's been from I guess Braves country, whatever that means. Um, how high and low people have gotten this season. Like people have, I, I think, have already sort of forgotten how this is kind of a gravy season. No one expected this. Even even the people that were as high on the team as possible were projecting like. 82 and 80 like nobody nobody really had like a 91 pace uh, before the season started so I mean they, they might cool off they may not they may not win the division they may not make the playoffs but uh anybody that said like anybody that could be actually disappointed with the way things are going right now probably is not not being overly realistic even if this week was kind of frustrating in a lot of ways um you mentioned Acuna before we get I mean, we'll, put, we'll hit on some more transactional stuff a little bit later but since he's coming back it looks like pretty soon I guess Snicker said on uh, on Sunday afternoon after the game that he that he does not expect Acuna to be back on Monday I guess he's going to spend Monday at least in Gwinnett um I don't know I mean, I'm not even sure what, what, what I want to ask you other than the fact that he's obviously coming back soon what are you expecting him to look like when he gets back you think I mean they've been pretty careful with him which is smart I would say obviously with an asset like this but what do you expect from him? We've only seen him for what 130 plate appearances, so we kind of don't know what he's going to be. But um, you know, fully, full, you know, sort of all, all, all systems go full, 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 you know, full speed ahead. However, however you want to say it when he comes back, or is there like a maybe a reintegration process? Before I answer your question, I want to at least shout out to maybe the Braves tweet of the year from Bowman, from given what Charlie Culberson has been doing and saying, has anybody ever heard of Wally Pip? I thought that was uh, in the pantheon of Braves tweets. For I this had year. a uh, on that note real <laughs> quick. I had a I had a friend uh, who is not a not a writer, but someone I, I, I went to high school with on you know I, I'm about to mention Facebook, so just brace yourself. Um, that one that was in a long rant about how Acuna should not be guaranteed playing time when he came back, and <laughs> I uh, I had to use I had to use the mute button. I just couldn't take it anymore. It was it was it was incredible. 
Yeah, I mean, he's been out since May 28th, and since he's been out, they've been scoring 4.6 runs per game. They were averaging 4.8 with him in the lineup. That's not to say they haven't truly missed him and his productivity across the board, but I'm curious more of, first of all, you want to see him make sure he's healthy. From the video that I've seen, whether it's pregame warm-ups or from him and Gwinnett the other night, just some highlights, it looks like he's running pretty well. It looks like the knee is, you know, pretty much holding up just fine. I don't I don't think we're going to see Ronald Acuña going out and loafing anytime soon. He's a he's a player that is kind of at max, you know, max effort all the time 100% uh if you will. So I think that he's going to probably struggle at the plate a little bit early on. I'm curious where probably more than anything my biggest question is where Snicker puts him in this lineup. Uh they just had a decent series anecdotally at least with Ender and Ozzy at the top. It won't surprise me if they put Acuna back to really where he started the season, right there about like six, uh, when he comes back into this lineup. But I, I think he'll be fine. It's more of just getting him back up to speed with the bat because I think that they took – I don't think they're going to throw him out on the field if there's a single hint of a question about the knee. So it, I, I'm not as worried about his health as I am just like getting him back into the rhythm of uh, everyday at-bats. Yeah, I mean, with a guy at this kind of talent, like this kind of pedigree, as you mentioned, there's no reason at all to risk anything. I know the Braves are winning more than we thought they were going to. They're on this pace, and they, quote, need him, and they absolutely do need him to be the best team that they can be. But that doesn't mean anything when you're talking about, like, he's got to be 100% or he's not going to play. I mean, I think they know that with the way they've treated it so far. Um, but, I, you know, just worth saying out loud, there's no reason to push him in any way if he's not – 100% healthy. You almost baited me into a lineup uh, discussion, which I'm going to say for a little bit later. Uh, we, well, we almost went there now. but Well, I, well I, what I would be interested too is not only where he's in the lineup and you know how they you know how he looks when he's out there, but how many off days does Brian Snitker mm-hmm. give him? Because we've seen in the past, even when you know players may be banged up or they may have taken, let's just say, a pitch off the wrist, uh, they're out there the next day. Will they be a little bit more cautious in terms of playing time for Acuna, given what they have gotten out of Charlie Culberson, does it not to not to back up what your friend on Facebook is saying here, but do do they <laughs> do do they give him do they kind of play off the fact that Charlie's played well to give Acuna, let's say like every fourth day off for a month or two? I don't know. Um, that that really just remains to be seen. But do we see some more off days in between? And I, you know, to his credit, and or to the managerial staff and the coaching staff's credit, I think we've seen a little bit more of that now. Uh, Dansby got the day off today until he came in with a pinch hit home run. Ozzy got a day off. He was kind of slumping there for a little bit. He's really rebounded since then. So we've seen some off days mixed in a little bit. It wouldn't surprise me if they do the same for Acuna. Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't endorse, uh, you know, one of every four, but if they want to be really careful, I definitely understand that. And I should say, you know, I've I've poked plenty of fun at Charlie Culberson, who was an outwardly bad hitter for a long time before this year. But right now, 103 WRC plus, and we're in the middle of June, well, actually near the end of June. So shots to Charlie Culberson for doing something that I did not envision he could do. He's been very, very good, uh, weirdly. He's been great, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really has. Like, this, it's not like... Uh, it, it doesn't feel very fluky. I mean, truly, like being able to talk to Charlie a little bit, um, he's a player that takes this very seriously. Like rain delays, like he's not in the, he, he doesn't see himself as a player that's in there playing Mario Kart with the rest of the players and stuff. 
uh, he's always working. He, he's, he knows his place on this team. He knows his role. And, uh, I mean, you have to give it to him. Like, he had a nice postseason. He's come back. He's had a nice bounce back year for the Braves. He's been a nice piece for them. Uh, and they really, really, when they needed him to be, uh, he stepped up. He's a big reason why they really haven't seen the offense plummet uh, in Acuna's absence. Yeah, he's been better than I ever thought, and uh, he's definitely been important to what the Braves have done this year. Um, all right, let's pivot to somebody I definitely want to talk about for a minute here, and that's Dansby Swanson, who you mentioned. Hit a home run on Sunday, but it did have the day off, and I saw a lot of discussion about Dansby. Not that there isn't always kind of that kind of discussion about Dansby around the internet, but especially this weekend, people talking about what he actually is now that we've now seen a pretty good sample. like We're almost at 1,000 plate appearances in Dansby's career, and his numbers are not overly impressive at the plate. I think his, his defense has been really, really good this year, and that's something that you have to say, and it's very important at shortstop to get that kind of defense. So with that caveat out of the way, what do you make of him at the plate? I think obviously the home run is nice today, but even with that, now in the season, he is sitting with an 89 WRC plus and 256 plate appearances, about a half season worth of plate appearances for a guy, maybe a little bit less than that. But I mean, just sort of up and down. Like historically, he's been the same way, very streaky, high and low kind of guy. Babbitt's just been the same way. But what do you think he actually is right now versus what he actually could be? And like how much noise is there still and what he actually has performed um, at the big league level? I think there's plenty of noise. Uh, a couple things here. Number one, you mentioned his defense, six defensive runs saved. And it really does speak to, regardless of how you are performing at the plate, if you are a plus and maybe even a plus-plus defensive player at a premium up-the-middle position, you still provide plenty of value for a team. The same can be said for this team in center field. So he is clearly providing them value, and he's clearly been – uh, a much better player this year. That was one of the biggest problems last year for Dansby is not just the fact that he couldn't hit. It was when he got out into the field, it seemed like there was a carryover effect and there were errors. He was one of the, you know, some of the most errors in the, in, in the game last year at shortstop. That all has seemed to dissipate this year. So he's played a lot better defensively. You have to first start out there, especially with an up the middle position. But second of all, I think there's still noise in terms of his, uh, offense because he's clearly a much better player than he was last year. There, there's been growth at the plate. Uh, I think he's clearly demonstrated you cannot pitch him inside. At the same point, at the same time, there's a pretty clear hole in his swing right now. Down and away, teams are going to continue to uh, throw him sliders, continue to pitch him away until he can uh, either start laying off pitches, either start demonstrating that. He can go out and go the other way with those pitchers, whatever it may be. But currently right now, 17 of his 26 extra base hits are on the inner third or over the middle. So clearly you can't pitch inside. It happened again today on that home run. Uh, pitcher made a mistake, goes inside. He sends it out into the left field seat. So I, I think he's a young player, still has a hole in his swing. Uh, and But he's he's made strides in that, in that department. Uh, enough so that I would say it's not – you you don't have to give up on him by any means um, in terms of being a a plus on the offensive end. I think we saw it earlier in the year. He's just not quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, I actually just realized I don't have the person's name to ask the question, so forgive me to whoever asked it. But somebody asked um, basically if we could write off him as a as a star offensively. I'm comfortable pretty much doing that I think I don't, I don't I'm not not saying that he can't be a plus offensive player but I, I think there's I'm the ship is probably sailed with him being like a legitimate superstar 
offensively. Uh, when you when you factor in the defense, that's probably a little bit something different. Like right now, he's on pace for about two and a half WAR, which is very, very, very okay for a player who's not been hitting at, at, at the top of his game right now. But what's his ceiling? You think realistically, offensively? I think defensively, we, we've now kind of seen that he can be a plus player there. That's very valuable at shortstop. But I mean, when you try to sift through all the noise, what is like a high end outcome for what he could be at the plate? It's a great question, especially because we've seen so many players in the league over the course of one off season or a couple off seasons change their swing. And uh, old timers can be as you know negative about this as they want, but launch angle and all of this comes into play. We've seen so many players exit reinvent- velocity, Zach. Exit velocity. Very important. We've seen so many. We've seen so many players reinvent themselves, and just to. Just to say for a 25-year-old that we know exactly what he is going to be is difficult for me because we, uh, you know, top of the head right now, Scooter Jeanette was like a 25% below league average hitter, and then all of a sudden he's one of the best hitters in baseball. I still can't explain it. Um, no, but he's having it, a, by the way. He's having a, he's having a monster year. Um, I'm not saying that that is sustainable for Jeanette or that could be what Swanson becomes they aren't even comparable. I'm just saying like so many players have reinvented themselves after struggles, after finding out what they're good at that. I think if, you know, pushed up against the wall, I think somewhere around, you know, a 10% above league average, you know, hovering above league average hitter with a plus defense, plus arm, plus glove, um, you know, maybe like a three war, four war player. Um, And that's really good. I mean, it's not like, that's a bust. It certainly may not be what want people want with the hometown kid, former number one pick, uh, came over in a in a heist of a trade, thinking they were going to get the next, you know, the next shortstop superstar. And I think that always comes into account here is that we're living in a golden age of shortstops, and everybody wants Lindor, and everybody wants Correa and Corey Seager, but I I don't think Dansby is going to reach that level but it's not to say that he can't be a really good shortstop for a long time at the major league level yeah with the way that he's defending now and and being more consistent with that not committing the areas as you mentioned and the mental mistakes that he kind of was you know committing last year if he if this is his real defensive level now i think all he has to be is a league average bat and you're talking about a three to four win player as you mentioned so that's not as sexy as some of the guys that you mentioned i think you know that and everybody knows that but I'm not writing him off. There's this uh, this segment of the, uh, the of Braves country, as you want to say, that is kind of just thinking this this is what he is, and I'm I'm not quite there yet. I, I think there's enough pedigree, enough talent there to think he can be uh, probably only a slightly above average hitter. But that's that would be a great player when you're talking about if he could post like a 110 WRC plus, 105 WRC plus consistently with his defense at shortstop. That's a very very good baseball player and uh, someone who would be value, uh, valuable moving forward. Good. I, I mean, you just you did just mention it though, like. Coming into today, now he's at you know hitting 11% below league average. But coming in today, 85 weighted runs created plus. He was still a one more player. Yep. So the it he's still on pace for like two and a half wins now. Even right, with the bat. like the premium. If you play a premium position like this, um, I mean, we're again you see it right there in center field. Not everybody is going to be Freddie Freeman uh, in your lineup. Now, would it be nice? And would it be nice to be the Astros, where it seems like one through nine uh, they just completely rake? Absolutely. But it, it doesn't mean that it, I don't think it's holding them back by any means at this point what Dansby is, you know, becoming and what he is growing into 
but I still think we have a long way to go in his development that simply writing him off as a as a bust or uh, as somebody that you know the Braves can't rely on moving forward it, it would that to me just doesn't make any sense yep I'm with you 100% and uh, it was definitely nice to see him hit that home run off the bench on Sunday um Transitioning to someone who we've seen a lot more of and that we know a lot more about, and that is Julio Tehran. Um, I was in the building on Saturday um, when he allowed four runs before recording an out. Um, granted, the, it was a, it was sort of a perfect perfect storm of the grand slam that went like two feet over the wall, so it probably wasn't as bad as that would indicate. But now sitting there with a 5.28 FIP on the year, 4.52 ERA, he's had some really good starts. He's had some really really bad starts. Uh, his control's been bad this year. You know, the, one of the overarching questions is like, what is Julio Tehran? And it depends. It depends on the day. I will say, when he's throwing in the mid, maybe not the mid nineties, but the, the low nineties, he's a different pitcher when he's you know sitting eighty eight, which does happen now occasionally. But I mean, I guess I'm asking you, like, I mean, it's impossible to answer. But what is he gonna be now? Because I think this is a, we're sort of in a new stage with Julio. He was not very good last year, and I think people were hoping he'd bounce back, and he's been worse. So, and to the point where he actually, at least according to Fangraphs, has been a sub-replacement level player. That's pretty brutal for a guy who's been your, quote, ace. He's never been that kind of pitcher, but your number one starter, your opening day starter the last few years. He's not going to be that anymore moving forward. We kind of know that. But is he someone that can bounce back and be a useful piece? Or is he kind of just like a guy at this point that you probably want to look at, look to move on from in the future? Well, this is where I'm starting to question myself and my past you know, statements on Julio Tehran and what I think of him, I always thought that if Julio Tehran, even if he struggles, he's on a team-friendly deal, and even if he becomes a mid-rotation to back end of the rotation guy, it still make it, it still makes sense in terms of value what he can provide your rotation for what he was signed for. But I think this past week has really underscored the the volatile nature of Tehran. I mean, not, six no-hit innings, 11 strikeouts, and then he turns around and he looks like a triple-A pitcher against the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, it, and, was, it was very bad on Saturday. Like, very, very bad. <laughs> and, I, and I think that all... You know, my, my real curiosity here is how much patience does this front office show with Julio Tehran? A guy you know, who has, isn't their guy. He isn't their guy. He has one year left on his deal after the season, and then he has a club option. At, at what point, you know, we talk about, and again, injuries have kind of undercut this a little bit, but when they are fully healthy at the moment, you could argue they have a bit of a log jam at the starting pitching spot, especially when you throw in Gohara and Colby Allard whenever they deem them ready. I, I think that Brandon McCarthy is the easy scapegoat because he's the rental veteran that is not, you know, is he ain't from around here. Uh, he's, he's from the Dodgers, and he's clearly not been as uh, as effective as he was last year for Los Angeles. But McCarthy's been better than Tehran this season. And even though, you know, he gave up two home, two home runs today, uh, clearly not the pitcher that he was, but he's still giving them a chance to win today, whereas with Julio against Baltimore, that was clearly not the case. I I wonder if McCarthy truly is that pivot point in this rotation when they do decide to make a move, whether it's a trade or whether it's calling up the likes of Allard, or if if at any point this front office tries to cut ties with Tehran, whether it's this year, this offseason, whatever it may be. I think we clearly know 
at least I would assume that he's not going to be their opening day starter in 2019. No, that, but, that ship has sailed, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I wonder if he, how long his leash is in this rotation. And, you know, we heard a lot of question marks about McCarthy when he was going through his struggles. Uh, he was even asked in a post-game session about, you know, does he worry about being moved out of the bull- moved out to the bullpen. I think my biggest question is on Tehran and what do they do if they actually do go out and make a trade or they do bring up a bring up a prospect. It's really difficult on, in terms of performance and merit to say that Tehran is the one that shouldn't lose that spot. Yeah, I mean, it's really weird and by the way, I mean, you mentioned the T-Print deal. I'm guilty of this as well. You know, next year is eleven point one million dollars, and that isn't necessarily looking to be a bargain, which is weird. Like I've always thought of that deal as this great deal, and you know, eleven million dollars is not crazy for a starting pitcher that's even a solid fourth starter. But I'm not. I mean, he hasn't been that this year. Um, he's had right. moments of that, obviously, but the cumulative effect, like you have to believe that he can be that for him to be, you know, quote worth the eleven million dollars. Um, so it's not like it's, it's not like he makes no money. There is some financial consideration there as well. And yeah, I mean, McCarthy's been better, uh, cumulatively than Tehran. If you look at all the numbers, which is kind of a weird thing to say as well. So I don't know. I mean, your your guess is as good as mine. I think we're just kind of talking out loud and spitballing about what this is going to be because we're all kind of, we're all kind of, kind of guessing you outlined it perfectly when you talk about his last start before Saturday was just absolutely fantastic. And then Saturday he looked like he was, you know, Williams Perez or someone of that nature. So well, I mean, and that, and that's what it comes down to, right? Is like we, you see the highs of Julio, Julio Tehran, and if that's what the front office believes he can still be, then clearly we're just we're spinning our wheels here, and this conversation is going to go nowhere. But the cumulative effect here is, you know, this season alone, league and park adjusted FIP among pitchers with 80 or more innings, he's third worst in baseball since the start <laughs> of the 20 since the start of the 2017 season among qualified starters. He's still third worst in baseball behind only Ian Kennedy and John Lackey. So clearly he's been one of the worst everyday starting pitchers in baseball since the start of last season. I, I, the question would be, are the, are the highs, are those single game starts or one or two or three game runs that he can go on, is it, a, is it tantalizing enough to believe that he can still be that pitcher or is is just the ship sailing for the front office on Julio Tehran? I'm not saying I know either way. Right. I, that's just like that's one of my biggest question marks with this roster, not only for the 2018 season, but moving forward is the one pitcher that's locked in on a guaranteed deal. He might be the biggest question mark in that rotation. Yeah, and that's one of those things that we that you and I, I mean, even even you who's there a lot and is around, we don't know that kind of information as much as the team's gonna. When it comes to how he feels physically, when it comes to his stuff on a regular basis, all those considerations, you know, what Anthopolis actually thinks of him, all those questions are ones that we don't have the answers to. So, uh, very interesting, and we'll uh, we'll definitely keep an eye on Julio. Uh, real quickly, a couple of injuries to hit on, on in the rotation slash bullpen right now. Soroka hit the DL this week, and Aroyd Fiscaino hit the DL finally, I guess, after a weird spell where he was unavailable. Both those guys have now what, they, what they're describing as shoulder inflammation um, are you worried about either or both of these um, stints on the deal? I, I think we'd all would all say this guy knows was kind of the weirder situation, but being that this is the second time that Sirocco's hit the DL and he's so young, has been so good when he's pitched, it's got to be a little bit of a worry spot. 
slightly concerning because it's a reoccurring injury. And this was a player that simply never got hurt throughout the minors. Uh, we saw the velocity really dip. He mentioned that when he was talking to the media about, you know, what the injury was and what they diagnosed, you know, the, the dip in velocity when he was even trying to reach back up there in Toronto uh, certainly was a cause for concern. And he even admitted it's, I'm sure, a bit of a cause for alarm for a young pitcher that uh, has never gone through anything. But uh, I think where the question mark around Soroka comes in that, you know, he worked so many and he was a workhorse almost at an unprecedented rate in the modern game for a high school arm, 387 innings pitched since being drafted in 2015 uh, year after year, just was incredibly healthy, just ate up innings. And it was, you know, is that a red flag? I don't know. Uh, certainly uh, sports illustrated Tom Verducci uh, mentioned Soroka and they actually, he actually led his piece off. He does this every year about minor league pitchers that have, you know, huge jumps in innings pitched and Allard and Soroka pitched a bunch. He even mentioned Luis Gohara. We're now, we've now seen with Soroka and Gohara some injuries early this season. So I, I'm not, I'm not overly worried about it. Soroka didn't sound like he was overly worried about it, but maybe they give him a little bit more time to bounce back. And I'll be honest, the Viz thing is a complete mystery. Um, it, it's been handled in a really, really weird way. Uh, just instead of like putting him on the DL, which they did today, um, he's just been like randomly unavailable even after not pitching for four or five days. It, it's been a really weird situation, but it was good to see Evan Phillips get the call up. Uh, you know, he's clearly been productive enough. He's been arguably their top reliever throughout the season in the minors. Um, and you guys mentioned over a talking chop from April 12th to June 19th. Uh, struck out 48 batters and an 0.85 ERA. So we went on a run there where I was even starting to question, okay, they're having some bullpen issues. Where is Evan yeah. Phillips? It's uh, it's good to see Phillips finally get his shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been hearing from Eric and the minor league guys like, all right, it's time, Evan Phillips, for the last couple of weeks even. Um, and this this opens the door for it, but you know, we'll see what he looks like when he gets there. The Viscano thing is just so bizarre. I mean, a couple of times where – I will, uh, I mean, you know, people that are, I think, are smart around the uh, social media and blogosphere were kind of like, all right, that doesn't make any sense. Is Vizcano unavailable? And then he ended up not being available. Uh, and a couple of days where you knew ahead of time he was unavailable, and it's like, why is he unavailable? He didn't pitch the last two days. And yeah, it's just a weird spot. And I guess uh, I read some quotes from uh, that Mark Bowman had today. And, you know, I guess it, it's kind of a collective shrug. Like they kind of just hear from Viz, and he's not, if he's not right, they're not going to throw him out there, which I understand. But, um, very interesting to see your your closer type if you still believe in closers and clearly Snicker does he's been using him in that role the entire season um, you know right now they still have uh, two very good arms and Minter and, and Winkler uh, Minter had the you know I guess it wasn't a safe spot today because of the home run by Dansby but he's the one that closed the game on Sunday and those guys are very good but it just it, it does it does make you less deep because uh, outside of the top guys in the bullpen there are some uh, less than stellar spots at least recently so we'll see what Evan Phillips looks like hopefully they trust him enough to throw him in some high leverage spots potentially because he has that kind of arm but uh, yeah a little bit of a worry I mean Soroka. I'm not terrified, but it definitely raised my eyebrow. I know I know Anthopolis has a little bit of a reputation for DL manipulation, but this does not feel like that. I think he actually has an issue. The first time, it kind of got a lot of eyebrow raises. Like, is he actually hurt? Maybe not. But this time, like you know, twice in this and this short of a time span, it's at least something you have to put your guard up about. Well, I mean, the velocity dip in Toronto was yeah. the was the huge 
kind of red flag there that like I know I mentioned it. We were sitting around the office because that was the day game, yeah. uh, and uh, it, it was it was like whoa, like that was like a it was like a it was like a two strike pitch and it was a fastball and it'd be like eighty eight, eighty nine. It was like you know that that's just yeah, that's just not Soroka. I mean, he's throwing like ninety three, ninety four mile per hour sinkers. So uh, so I think the velocity dip uh, clearly points to the fact this isn't you know DL manipulation by no. any means. Um, he actually needed some time off and. You know, I'm all for like DL manipulation too. I'm not even against that. I yeah, I, I, mean, was, I, I, I definitely endorse the creativity that we've seen in the past from Anthopolis and some spots. But I mean, I, I I was a, I mean, before they did it, I went on our show on uh, Chopcast Live, and I was talking about with Fulton Evich, who was who had said he had some like tricep tightness, and I was like, well, just put him on the DL. They're in the middle of a a run against you know, sub 500 teams, he skips one start essentially. Um, and then he's right back at it. You need him throughout the whole season. Um, if you have to do that with a, with a pitcher, just, uh, be my guest basically. Well, I mean, as soon as they changed the rule to 10 day, you know, that it was just jokes flying everywhere around the league about, you know, starting pitchers, it just makes your life so easy to skip one start and you just throw the phantom, you know, oblique strain up there. And it's like, all right, well, or, you know, shoulder. I guess you know because it's shoulder soreness or inflammation. It's like that's sort of the obvious one, but it actually, when it comes true, it's kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, it just it's too easy to do, frankly. So if there's any issue at all, hangnail, blister, whatever, just throw on the deal. Why not? And uh, yeah, hopefully this is this is not this is not what that is, but hopefully it's that kind of short um, you know absence from Soroka because he's been a lot of fun and been very very good when he's pitched. Um, before we get into some more controversial things, I want to just ask you. Uh, Freddie Freeman's the NL MVP by a pretty wide margin right now, isn't he? Oh yeah. I mean, I, not even, I, 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 like, feel like, you, I feel like a homer when I say that, and I, I know Max Scherzer is the other argument. I'm just the guy who says uh, starting pitchers have to be like four times better than everybody else to actually win the MVP, in my opinion. So if you just, I guess, if you put Scherzer in a different category, it's got, it's kind of like Freeman and everybody else. I think that Scherzer clearly has a case here. Um, he's I think he's the, been unbelievable. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the the I think narrative plays in the minds of voters as well. And you have an out of nowhere team. Clearly, he is their best player, uh, anchoring the middle of a lineup for a resurgent offense. Um, I think that plays in Freddie's favor as well. Um, I'm not in that you know MVP or pitchers have their MVP for Cy Young. Um, it, I, but if it's close. You know, I would like to see uh, a position player get it, and you're right. Uh, they're pretty close. They're pretty neck and neck. I think the only other position players that I would throw into this mix are not has been fantastic. Um, Lorenzo Cain is, you know, kind of pulling a bit of a Freddie Freeman for a He's been great. for a team there in the NL Central. He's been a great pickup for Milwaukee. But, no, I mean, Freeman's outpacing Chipper's 99 uh, MVP season. What's funny is I was looking at StatCast right before we came on. He's been unlucky this season. Oh, yeah. By quality of contact, strikeouts, and walks, StatCast has his expected uh, weighted on base average 13 points higher than his actual one so far. So uh, he's, just, he's just been so good, and uh, it's just going to continue. He's, he, I think he's almost every single offensive category other than slugging, uh, and that was last year's 2017 is above him. Um, so he's just setting – not only personal highs, but he's leading the league in pretty much every category you want to see. He's he's the MVP frontrunner. Yeah, I mean, what's that stat? I, I, I feel like I should have written it down because I read it this week. Like, when was the last time he popped up on the infield? Isn't it like 
It's like I haven't years. seen that one. No, it's like it's in some insane. He hasn't he hasn't hit an infill pop up in like two years or some outrageous really stat like that. Yeah, I saw it making rounds on Twitter this week. Um, dang, I wish I had grabbed it. But yeah, it's uh, and it was from a real source too. It was like you know somebody that we trust. Um, so yeah, I mean, just kind of just tells you that even when he doesn't you know do do good things, he just doesn't. There are no issues with Freddie Freeman. <laughs> He's just kind of an across the board monster. A guy who's exceeded any rational expectation of him, even you know, but even by the time like 2016 rolled around, he had his breakout. It was like, all right, we were talking about it. I think even on this podcast, like, all right, there's a possibility that's the best. That's the best year of his career. Um, you know, he had, he had a six win season. He had a 152 WRC plus. He was incredible in 2016, and then he was better last year, and he he's on pace to be better again this year. It's it's incredible how good he is. Honestly. He, he is. He's in the prime of his prime. And it's like, it's, it's like a, boring it, to talk about, which is why I'm like yeah. making a point to talk about it now with you. Cause it's like, all right, Freddie's really good again. Awesome. I mean, he, he's helped a little bit by, I would say three or four of the top players, uh, in baseball that are right there with him playing in the American league. Um, and Bryce Harper but, doing weird things. And, yeah. Bryce has had just such a weird season. He's in the middle of that slump, but, um, he, he's, I mean, in terms of just hitting and I think other players provide value in other ways that, um, I think Freddie's a good defender at third base, but it's difficult to. Did you replicate. go third base just then? I'm sorry, first base. Uh, hey, he was pretty good at third base too. I'm sorry. Uh, miss, miss, <laughs> I was uh, like, oh my gosh, is Zach about to make the argument for Freddie Freeman at third base again? It's yeah, time. yeah, put him put him back over there. No, no, no. So at first base, <laughs> he's a pretty good defensive player, but it's hard to replicate what other players can do, whether it's at an up the middle position or even in the outfield. So uh, or at third base, like an Arenado. Um, so, but. Just in terms of hitting, I mean, since the 2016 season, it's Mike Trout, Freddie Freeman, Joey Votto. I mean, it's yeah. It, I was gonna I mean, say he's, I'm, I'm he's so, on an extremely short list. I was hoping you were gonna get that because, like, I I mean, we were talking about. It. I have a couple of friends who are Braves fans that I, that I went to the game with on Saturday that aren't like super big time baseball fans. They just watch the Braves and root for the Braves. And I try to talk about Mike Trout and how good Mike Trout is, and they kind of just poo-poo it and do the do the very casual fan like, "What has he ever won?" kind of thing, <laughs> which oh, make, which makes me crazy. But and talking about that, I was like, "Look, I mean, you could make the argument that Freddie Freeman is the second best hitter on the planet. Like, I, I would listen to that argument. Like, he doesn't he, he doesn't bring value in the way that that Trout does on the bases or necessarily defensively at the same level because it's first base and all that stuff. But pure hitter, you could tell me he's the second best hitter on the planet. And I would not necessarily argue with you, which is crazy." Yeah, I mean, the only other players that just, I'm looking at it right now that you could throw in that have been playing that whole time, Aaron Judge is in there, but he hasn't played as many games. Uh, the only other players that are right there are like Altuve and J.D. Martinez are right there in that mix as well. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's Votto, Freeman, Altuve, Trout. I mean, it's a, it is an extremely abbreviated list. And, yeah, he's uh, very he, good. <laughs> yeah, when, he, when he's healthy, he's just uh, – I think he's the MVP in the National League until proven otherwise so far. Absolutely. Um, all right, one more, one more thing before we get to some big picture stuff at the end, and that is that uh, there was an interesting quote today from uh, Brian Snicker about Ender Enciarte, uh, who's now back in the leadoff spot, and looks like he's going to be staying there. Uh, I've talked about that a lot on the podcast, something that I do not endorse as a practice just because Ender, I don't think, is the kind of hitter that you want in the leadoff spot other than the fact that he's fast. But what, what did you make of that particular quote? And I'm going to read it for you right now. Uh, this is from Gabe Burns. Pass this along on Twitter. And he says, Snicker says, I personally think we're at our best at Vinciarte's leading off and doing what he's capable of doing. End quote. What is your reaction to that? Ron Howard voice, they were not. <laughs> um, 
Look, agreed. Ender, Ender's, Ender's played. He's hit pretty well over the last two weeks. He's you know had a good series against the Orioles until today. But even so, even before today's 0 for 4 with one walk performance at the top, he was hitting 41 percent below league average at the leadoff spot. Like at a certain point, this entire narrative just gets a bit tiring, and it's just like. Like this nonstop allusion to the fact that the Braves have this leadoff savant that despite all of that, his career best OBP would rank 55th in the majors right now. Like it's it, it, in some ways it's unfair to the player because the Braves always talk about him as if he's going to, you know, save the day at the top of the lineup. Well, even even on the broadcast today, though, like I'm not sure if you were like listening live today on Sunday, but, you know, you have Joe Simpson talking about how Ender like really sees himself as a leadoff hitter and the he fact does. that he wants 100%. to be a leadoff hitter and like he thinks it's that's his like spot that needs to be in and I understand from from player perspective you know I, I don't I don't fault the guy for wanting to be in, in in the biggest spot and if you're playing at the top of the lineup you're going to get more opportunities but in the same breath because uh, he thinks he is does not mean that he is if that makes sense like I'm not blaming him for that mindset but just the whole, as you as you sort of allude to there, the whole narrative around the whole team and everybody talks about it that way. And I know, I guess Ender's very easy to like. I mean, I've heard good things about Ender as a guy. I had never talked to him, so I can't speak to that. But uh, it's just kind of overwhelming in the fact that he doesn't have to hit leadoff. He, he just doesn't. Like, I'm sorry. I mean, I wish he was, I mean, especially I think last year it was a crescendo because he had 200 hits. And 200 hits is this, 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 this like mythical figure. I cannot tell you how many times in the last four months or three months since the season started, whatever it is, that someone who's an Ender fan has thrown back something on, on Twitter to me about how he had 200 hits last year. I, I understand he had 200 hits last year. You want to know what that means? He had a lot of plate appearances. He does, doesn't walk a lot. That's that's what that means. I'm sorry. Ender, Ender is a very well-liked teammate, uh, a very a very good baseball player. I mean, seriously. Yeah, he brings uh, value in other ways. He, he <laughs> provides clear value, and he's on a team-friendly deal, probably going to be around for a good bit of time. And I think just right now he's one of the top five outfielders in terms of uh, defensive metrics at the moment. He's providing all the value that you ever want out of him. And to those people that keep coming back to the 200 hit season, my reply would be if he's if he was doing that this year, I honestly wouldn't say that much. Agreed. Like Ozzy hasn't been fantastic up there. Uh, Dansby hasn't, you know capitalized and you know push his way to the top the one player i'd really like to see get a Say shot it. do it would would be johan camargo um and see i know you're gonna go Marquecas. oh you know but, i am absolutely but that's, that's but but um i actually really like what they've gotten out of freeman and Marquecas in the middle of the lineup yeah i wouldn't true. i wouldn't mess with it uh camargo has pushed his way into the conversation he has like a 360 obp He's well ahead of Ozzy and Ender in terms of getting on base. He is the walking pla- Adam. The plate discipline. Amount. Thank you. The plate discipline has been fantastic. I mean, he really does uh, look like he's in control up there. And uh, Camargo's the guy that I would give a shot. But if if Ender was doing exactly what he was doing last year, like a three fifty one OBP, I wouldn't say a thing. I really wouldn't. Like at this point, um, it wouldn't be worth the argument. But they haven't gotten very good production out of that spot, whether it's been Ender or Ozzy. So, I mean, it was a nice series for them, but 
I don't know how sustainable it is when you look at the cumulative effect of hitting one of your two or three least productive everyday players this season, giving him the most plate appearances. It's not a very good recipe for success. I'm not saying that he can't heat up in the summer and get going, but I feel like about 18 times this season, I've heard he's heating up <laughs> and um, in the NBA GM voice and he wasn't. He was not. So yes. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like making this like a negative about Ender. It's more of, I, I would like to see Ender do it for like get to league average hitting first and then we can have a conversation. Well, that's, but, the, that's the thing about I mean, NCR today that drives me crazy is that, you know, you mentioned last year and I, I agree with you. I would not be nearly as vocal as I have been about him hitting leadoff if he had done what he did last year. But by the way, even last year, he had a dead, dead at 100 WRC plus for the season. He right. was not the spectacular hitter last year. Right. I, I mean, the, slu- the slugging wasn't exactly there. No, and he has no I, power, and that's that matters less than Leos Bad, which I, I, I understand, again, and this is why I'm saying I would, I would have left it alone if he's doing the same thing he did last year because, you know, leadoff, you don't necessarily need power, and that's part of the recipe for WRC+. Plus. I understand that, but a 350, a 350 on base percentage is not anything crazy to write home about. It's just not. Like, it's fine. Right. It's very it, good. It would, it would, but That's what I said earlier. It would rank 55th in baseball at the moment, but... If you want to say that, okay, that 351 OBP at the top is better than anyone else has provided so far, plus he's on pace for 25, 30, 35 steals, we like him at the top, he's a leader, you know, he's kind of a spark plug for our team, you can make all of those arguments if the numbers were backing you up there, but we're clearly at a fairly significant sample size for the season, and we haven't reached that point yet. So even if you want to say he's heating up, in the month of June right now, He's hovering around 300 OBP in a 325 slugging. So it, it's it's one of those things where, like, at a certain point, for my for my own sake, I'm always going to go off of merit. I'm not going to go off of okay, but he could do this, which is yeah. essentially what Snicker said today. Was That's I think true. when he I think when he's at his best, he's going to do this. Well, when I think Julio Tehran is at his best, <laughs> he is he could be uh you know a middle of the rotation, you know, number two type starter. But Julio Tehran hasn't been in his best for the majority of the season, so I don't know what that means. Yeah, I mean, quick, quickly, a couple, couple things that I want to get back to NCR today for a second. For, for Ender's career, which is mostly the Braves at this point, he has a 74 WRC plus against left-handed pitching. So Yeah, you, okay, you can't hit him against that, left at right, the top. That, that is my thing. That's like a non-starter. If they, if they now, at this point, said, even with this year, if Snick came out and said, all right, we're going to hit Ender against, uh, in, in the layout spot, I guess, right-handed starters only, I would, I would be like, okay, that's fine. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily think that's the greatest thing in the world, but I would, I would be quiet about it. But him hitting, left, him hitting leadoff against a lefty is a bad decision, objectively. And even last year, it was a bad decision, objectively. This year, he has a 51 WRC plus against left-handed pitching. That's forty nine percent worse than league average. Like that's really, really bad. He cannot hit left handed pitching. So, uh, I mean, I know you're nitpicking for this year, but like that's a career sample of seventy four. Like that yeah. is a that's a bad hitter. I guess left handed pitching. So again, it's not meant to single out Ender and like pile on. I, I've been quick to defend him from people sometimes about. I, I do think there's a ton of value in his defense. His base running is good. 
uh, you know, all that, all that stuff. But just as a pure hitter, that stuff matters. And the other thing that I've been thrown, thrown back on my face this year that's actually valid is that there isn't a perfect option. And I'm the first person to say there's not a perfect option on this team right, right. now. Um, Ozzie, you know, when Ozzie was slugging 570 early in the season, it didn't necessarily matter so much. But now that he's cooled off to a more reasonable pace, he's not getting on base. It hasn't been all season long. Doesn't doesn't fit perfectly there right now with the way that he's attacking the game. Uh, well, Camargo, time, well, time, time out. Go ahead, because because if we're gonna do the Ender's heating up argument, then Ozzy just heating up. had. Yeah, I mean, Ozzy just had nine hits in the series. Yes, yeah, he is heating up. I, uh, like I don't, I don't like the the heating up argument. Right, that's but, why that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> but but uh, if we're gonna play, if we're gonna play those cards. Ozzy is also heating up uh, on a parallel path. Well, and, and he here's is here's my thing. My thing with that is, even when you point out that Ozzy is not been, not been getting on base all season long, which I would be the first to say, um, there's still more value in that guy getting more plate appearances because he's still even with even after the slump, he was like still slugging like 490 for the year. Like he's even after the slump was still a plus offensive player for the season. So it's all about value. Like it's you know you you only you only lead off the game once is kind of what I would say. Like you want you want your best hitters getting more plate appearances. It's a new school versus old school argument, I guess. But I want my best players batting more than my worst players. That's kind of what it well, comes I mean, down to. Well, and you sent me, and we can get off of this topic. And I know it's it's kind of a hot button issue for everybody. It is, but um, I mean, you sent me the list and like the 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 types of players that are getting lead off plate appearances for their their teams now i mean i mean the red sox themselves are throwing mookie Betts and andrew benintendi and you know it's as simple as getting your best player at the plate it's not i mean the mets are putting brandon nimmo in there and he's hitting really well this season you can go down the list like a lot of teams are throwing their best hitters francisco lindor is leading off charlie blackman for the rockies leads off i mean it's i mean i don't know how you can't look across baseball you know, even seeing like the World Series MVP and George Springer, he leads off. Like, so many teams out there are putting really good, they're like best hitters out there. And it's not the time to be stuck into like fast guy leads off. Um, you know, and middle infielder hits, hits second. That's, that's middle infielder. Well, Ozzy has kind of turned that on its head, but well, no, yeah, but I mean, my, 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 uh, my point on there would be, uh, would be the day that Oz was it the day that Ozzy had the day off and they hit um, who hit second? There was a com- that was a comical one. I can't remember who hit second the other day. Anyway, yeah, it was, it was uh, a challenge. Was it Culberson? Maybe maybe it was Culberson in second. Somebody hit second when Ozzy was off, and I was like, oh yeah, that tells you all you need to know about the way they treat second. But yeah, I'm again, I'll be the first person to say there's not a perfect option. Um, my option would be Marcakis, but I totally understand what you're saying about not shaking that up. I would I like only point that. out that since the 32-game barrage at the beginning, Marquecas has kind of been what he's always been. Uh, he has a 774 OPS since that point, which is a good, which is a fine to pretty good player. But the guy that we saw the first 32 games is not a real person. Um, so I, with that, with that caveat, I, I would be willing to do it. But I, I do understand that because you had success, and because by the way, you still don't have a critical. T- Anybody else that's necessarily better at hitting behind Freeman than Marquez has been with all of his doubles and stuff. So I totally get leaving him there for now. I think coming into the year, I was arguing about that. So that's not, that's not a new argument. I think Marquez's best asset is his on-base ability. And it's always been that way. It's still that way, even with the sort of inflated numbers from this year, from the beginning of the year. But yeah, it's an argument we're, we're going to continue to have for a long time. And I really hope that Ender makes me look silly and just hits like 400 for a month and a half. That'd be fun. But 
I don't necessarily see that as a likely outcome. Yeah. Um, and for Marcakis, I mean, I, I think this guy's going to be all-star. And again, Oh, he should be. He should be. The, the, one, the, one, the, the crazy thing about Marcakis, and not to go off on another soapbox here, Do it. but it, there is a bit of revisionist history being played this season with Marcakis. And I don't think it's as if, as if he's been this, I, as if he's been he's been this guy the whole time, Zach. He's been right, this right. OPS guy, right? And I don't want to sound like I just don't want to sound like disingenuous. Like I did not expect him to do this, and he has no. clearly proven me wrong. Like he has me been too. so good this season, and I think that you can say both things. You can say that you know the the offense was declining. He wasn't near this player the last two years, and this season he has clearly uh, performed. You know, fantastic. I mean, he's an all star in my opinion. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that like this like gotcha effect of like, ha, we told you that Marcakis has been fantastic all along. Did did I, among other people, including yourself, like underrate? You know, kind of the the everyday consistency. I'm sure I do. Like, sure. I, I sure, I'm sure I get lost in the numbers sometimes, and um, and, and sometimes underrate certain things. And you know, Chipper Jones was saying the other day about like. You know, it's not easy to, you know, I think he tweeted, like, it's not easy to get 2,000 hits, and it clearly shows, like, the professional hitter that he is. And, and the durability, can, too. Like yeah, he, the durability. Like, every day, I mean, he, he, basically has, he basically has one injury in more than a decade. I mean, like, teammates love this guy, and, and when you just get lost in the numbers, like, you lose track of that, and you do lose sight of that. It's been, it honestly has been refreshing to see uh, a player that, I mean, 2,000 plus hits. I mean, only Juan Pierre has more hits without an all-star appearance. Uh, I think I think it is – it's a really cool story to watch, you know, a player like that on his way to his first all-star appearance and, you know, prove people wrong and, and probably earn uh, a nice final contract to, you know, end out his career if he if – he, if that's what he chooses to do. Who knows what think more fake is. But, um, you know, it's been a nice story and it, you don't have to play like – I don't know, like demonizing people that had legitimate criticisms in the past. And just because those criticisms no longer apply to this season doesn't make the past criticisms invalid. It's, yeah. been, it's been a really weird conversation, and I know you've been trapped in it. Oh, but, yeah. The whole, um, the whole way. It, I mean, it's... And I, and, I love, and I love all of the Twitter sphere. It's, I love all of you. It's fun. I mean, it, I, it's, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been an interesting and, and really a, a fascinating season from that perspective, watching him bounce back. Yeah, as long as it's lighthearted, I, I totally I get it all. And just for the record, this is uh, currently the second best season of his career, um, and by far his best season since 2012 so far. Like it's not even close. Like his his best season from a WRC plus perspective with the Braves was his first year, which is 106. This year's 136 coming in today, and after two doubles, it's now 138. So yeah, he's above his head a little bit with the way he's been, and the last two seasons were. Not necessarily great, but yeah, I mean, there's no question he's an all-star this year. I would say nothing else of that. When you're evaluating all-star appearances, it's it's based on what you do in the first half of the season, and he's been awesome. And the 32-game barrage at the beginning of the year matters. It counts. It happened. He provided a ton of value. And it's not like he's cratered. He's still been just fine since then. He's just been more like his more like his old self. It's not yeah, like that's two, a bad player either. Like Yeah, two more doubles today. Yeah, yeah he just, was good again today. Keeps going. Like, and by the way, he's playing better defense than he has in a while. Like he is—he's basically been a neutral defender, uh, according to Fangraphs and a lot of the metrics, and that's something that he could not say the last few years. So, um, a very nice bounce back year, and I'm hoping that it won't result in some weird contract in Atlanta <laughs> this year. But he's gonna get paid somewhere. I mean, and he should. I mean, because 
even if it's just what we've seen this year, even if he's just kind of the guy he's been for the rest of this season, he's going to end up with a year, a, a full year-long sample that's better than anything he's put on paper in a long time. And that's cool. So, shouts to Marcakis. Um, last thing before I let you get out of here. Um, I have to ask you about Brian Snicker because it's a topic that we cover a lot on the podcast. I am uh, not a huge fan of him tactically, but I think because you're in the locker room and most people that I have on the podcast are not in the locker room on a regular basis, um, I, we, we, I, at least I try. I know Scott and Eric, we all try to sort of couch it with the fact that everybody seems to love Brian Snicker and that does matter. But because you're around the team more often, maybe you can speak to it a little bit even more than I can. But like, what's the what's the balance like? The, at least in your opinion, what's, what should the balance be like between evaluating a manager by his tactics, in which I think most people would acknowledge he's not the greatest tactical manager in the world. When you balance that with what he does in the locker room, what's that like? What's that mix like for you? Well, what the mix is like for me, and what it's like for the front office and the players are probably going to be two uh, two very different things, but. I think at the end of the day that you're going to be judged on your body of work. And I would say that as this roster has improved, clearly you could see in the standings that the, the results have improved as well. And Sitker deserves more credit than I give him for that. I think more credit than a lot of people give him for that. And I'm not, I'm with you. I I don't think that uh, he's one of the, you know, I, I question, tactics all the time. And that, I think that just comes as part of, you know, our jobs, uh, on this side of, on this side of the fence, but this is clearly a team that is, you know, punching above its preseason projected weight. And I think that he deserves some credit for that. I, and there's all, there's also some times that I question things and we just talked about this, but I question things that it comes out later that, weren't necessarily in his power. The Vizcaino thing is a perfect example yep. um, of things that I'm like, why did why did Viz not pitch there after oh, not yeah. throwing for five days? I've definitely done and that before. It, this and, then, and, then, and then it comes out later that well, he wasn't even available, so the manager's not going to throw an injured pitcher. And clearly, you know, I was wrong in that sense for questioning, you know, that line of strategy. So we don't have all the information on it. I do think there are certain things, and we just went on a whole diatribe about Ender that I would change. But if this team stays in the hunt and it stays in contention and the players are clearly buying into his message and what he's saying and they listen to him, I I really don't have much to add to the conversation at the moment. Um, I, I do think it that when you are contending and you are going for a playoff spot that getting, you know, trying to win. And this sounds very, elementary but trying to win uh on any given night and and managing as such takes on a bit of a higher priority um so it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the course of the season it'll be interesting to see how the relationship between the front office and the managerial staff i think we've seen a couple things where they go in different directions uh, so far this season well and it's, it's it's worth noting that anthopolis did not hire brian sticker he was. Yeah, I mean, of, that, he, he inherited Brian Snicker, which is interesting. that's true. That's true. Uh, I will say for Snit, he has a really good coaching staff around him. I oh, yeah. really do. I really do believe that Weiss and Washington and Shouts Washington, the legend. <laughs> they uh, they really have added a nice. It, it's a it's a coaching staff from what I've seen is really beloved by the players. I mean, the infielders 
and anyone that works with Wash uh, really loves him. I think you clearly see uh, the work that Eric Young Sr. came in, uh, put in with the base running. And Walt Weiss has been a nice steadying presence, I think, too, uh, and somebody that Snitker, uh, I think, trusts uh, on his bench. So this is a really long answer in saying that, like, this team is ahead of where they are at the moment. I'm not going to be overly critical of individual decisions when it's panned out over the long run. But if as we get closer to the playoffs, um, there's going to be more scrutiny on, on every single managerial decision. And you get into the playoffs, and it's even more so. That's not exclusive to Brian Snicker. That's true of every single MLB manager out there. So uh, as, as this all evolves, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll talk about this more. But I think, I, think he's done a, I think he's done a fine job thus far in terms of guys you know, buying in and clearly you see what they're able to do in late game situations. They, it's not like they ever just mail in a game. They don't cash it out. Um, I think there's something to be said for that too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to get your perspective on that just because, like I said, you're, you're around the team more than, uh, more than most. So I think you have that, that, that little bit of, of behind the curtain uh, that people, the people like myself don't necessarily get. So thanks for that. Uh, one, one last quick thing that I, I forgot to mention before. Uh, I wanted to ask you if you have a favorite potential trade target or two, because we, we got a ton of questions in the mailbag that we probably won't get to most of, but that's one that I wanted to at least pass along and let you answer. Like, I'm not necessarily asking you to predict what's going to happen, but if you had a, a guy or two that you'd be particularly looking for the Braves to maybe go after, who would that be? Okay, a bit of a speed round. Uh, I'm not sure if they are going to go out and get a young, controllable starter. That's oh, yeah. really good, but I would like to. I would like to see that. I'm not sure where they're at there. Uh, third base, I don't think, is near as much of a need as people say it is because Camargo's been really good. Um, in my opinion, Camargo's been better than a guy like Moustakas this year. I thought that the Adrian Beltre talk was interesting, but I don't know what exactly that would cost. That's um, the, by the way, that's the question with everything is what does it cost? Everything. Every question well, we're going to talk about, what does it cost? Well, I mean, the, the, so John, John Morosi, Morosi threw this out there yep, um, about Cole Hamels and Adrian Beltre and like, Honestly, I wouldn't be totally against that. Hamels hasn't been very good this season, but it's extremely expensive. And I don't know what the Braves would actually have to give up other than like a mid-tier prospect. Well, and the whole thing two. is there's – I think their, the Rangers have to pay money too. Well, and there's the reporting from Bowman that says basically the, the ownership group is not exactly eager to take on big money, and that's big money. So – yeah, I mean, the Rangers would have to help pay for that or else they're going to give those two players <laughs> for free because uh, I don't think either one of them would be worth uh, a, a good prospect to even make it worth their time. No. Um, so I'm not I'm not necessarily all in on that. Uh, but if they do make changes to the bullpen, I think it would be very easy. There's a ton of teams that are out of contention with a bunch of really good relievers. Um, I think that's the easiest way to go. Uh, I think one of the players we just saw uh, from Baltimore. I really like Michael Givens. Um, I know that Brad Brock and uh, Zach Britton get the headlines, but Givens, 28-year-old righty, three years of arbitration left after this season, and here are his four seasons so far. 0.9 war, 1.2 war, 1.2 war. He's in the middle of a one-war season already with a 2.76 FIP. So I really like Michael Givens, a really good right-hander for them, and year after year, he's been just extremely solid. And he's somebody that not only is not like the rental, like the Nationals went and got with Kelvin Herrera. This is somebody that you can have in your bullpen for years to come as a, as a nice piece. The only other one I would throw out there, another bad team, a ton of relievers. It, it was hard to kind of land on one, but the Padres, we saw them 
plenty over the past month or so. But I really like Kirby Yates for the Padres. Uh, you look at his stat cast numbers, he's way above the curve. Uh, picked up a splitter this year. Uh, Fangrass recently mentioned that uh, he had the biggest jump in his ground ball rate, so that splitter's really come into handy. But uh, high strikeout, high whiff rate, and uh, Kirby Yates is a right-hander to kind of keep your eye on. Two years of arbitration left for him, too. So I like getting controllable guys. I'm not all in on finding a rental unless it's a cheap rental for this team because I don't think it necessarily makes sense of where they're at. Um, yeah, it's, I, I like, it's all philosophical, but you don't, I am not in the place of, I mean, I, I don't think anybody responsible is going to say go all in on this team, but I, I think I'm even further away from that. Like I would be pretty reticent to go after a rental uh, provided. I mean, there's, there's certainly a level of prospect where I'd be willing to do it, but like there's always the hypotheticals of like what it would take to get, get Machado or something like that. And it's like, I don't think that the timeline lines up there. I just don't see the Braves paying for paying big in prospects for someone who is almost certainly a rental. That's 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 a tough one in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I mean, like, like apparently they really like the prospects from the Royals, but I didn't think the Nationals paid an arm and leg for Herrera. Well, they did. That's that's the kind of deal that makes sense. Yeah. So like, so like a rental like that makes sense to me. Um, I think I think something that does get lost uh, when you're on uh, our side of the fence is that there is something to be said for owing it to your veterans, whether it's McCarthy or, you know, Nick Markakis or whoever. You owe it to them to, when you have that opportunity, you don't know if you'll have that opportunity again. So you do want to, you know, every time you have that chance, you want to maximize that chance. Flags fly Um, forever, Zach, as I say. So (laughs) So I'm with you. You know, you don't overpay. I don't think you go all in unless it's a controllable player past this season. Um, but I think there's clearly a relief market that will benefit Atlanta. It would it would probably surprise me at this point. Would be the best way to describe it if they did not make at least an addition on, on that side of things because there's just so many bad teams with really good bullpen arms. Yeah, and that's a spot where the Braves could use an upgrade. I mean, obviously they have some really good guys at the end of the at the back end of the bullpen, but. The uh, other guys are not necessarily going to blow you away. I mean, it's been a decent collective effort, I will say, from the bullpen, but it could certainly be improved. And that's a cheaper spot. It's always going to be cheaper to go get a, a middle reliever than it is going to be to get a full-time starting third baseman or a cost-controlled starting pitcher. That's just the name of the game when it comes to yeah, using prospects and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, that seems like a pretty reasonable outcome. And uh, that's also a way to show the fan base if they care about that, which they might a little bit, that they're trying to win this year. Maybe a little bit. I'm not sure that matters is like the reason why they would do it, but I think there's something to saying, look guys, we're trying to go make the playoffs and we're going to, and we're going to do it by adding this guy. I have news for the fan base. They are trying to win. Oh, I know they are. Um, but you know I what I mean? Know. Like just, just like, I, I, because it was such I a quiet off season, like they, they really didn't do anything. I mean, aside from the, the weird money trade with the Dodgers that ended up with McCarthy and Kemp and all that fun stuff, they didn't do anything. Yeah. They went and traded away an MVP candidate, Matt Kemp. How about that? Yeah, how about Matt Kemp? <laughs> how about Kemp? No, 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 it's, it's good for him. But that's that move made sense, and um, I anybody that's been around Anthopolis knows that uh, behind the kind of is a like kind of good guy, you know, nature. I think he is extremely competitive, and yeah, I I I don't think that he's just going to mail in a season because he thinks well in 2019 that's where it's going to be. I'm not saying he's going to cash out on all the prospects, but I I do think he has a bit of a he said this a couple times and I know you need to go. No, you're good. He's he's gotten more comfortable. One one reason he didn't come in guns blazing or two reasons. 
number one, he felt he didn't feel like he needed to put a stamp on this franchise at all. He looks at himself. It was a really interesting quote. as more like a steward of a franchise. It's not about putting his stamp on it, but put getting the franchise in a better state. But also, he didn't know who the prospects were. So he didn't want to go and make a trade on a guy that he didn't really have any familiarity with. He didn't want to go trade in Austin Riley this offseason just because they needed something at the major league level. So I think he's gotten there. He mentioned this in our booth the other day that he feels a lot more comfortable with the prospects they have, what he has to play with. So I think he can get a little bit more aggressive now that given where the team is and given that he has a better understanding of what he has. So I, and he is a competitive person. So I don't, I don't think they're just going to just sit on their hands uh, through the July 31st deadline. And now that the market's set, especially for relievers, um, I think that's probably the, the easiest answer is where they, where they go, at least where they go uh, first. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, very interesting. I think we'll have, Plenty of discussions about what they actually end up doing is something is going to happen, I would bet, as well. So within the next month, we'll have more to talk about. But uh, thank you, Zach, for joining me on the pod. Uh, the Braves have a pretty interesting week coming up. And uh, without previewing that too in-depth, they do have Cincinnati for three and then the Cardinals for three. By the way, the Reds have won seven in a row. So break up the Reds starting Monday. <laughs> in El Central, better watch out. Uh, they're still 32 and 45, so probably not, but uh, alas. Well, thank you. Uh, please plug anything you want, Zach. I know you are a television personality and such, so please get anything else that you want there, that you want out there, share it with people. Well, that was uh, a description television that I... Television personality. Um, no, no, no. We do have Chopcast, Chopcast Live. Everybody can find that um, you know, on, on Facebook Live, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio. So Corey McCartney and myself do that. We also uh, would encourage people to follow at Fox Sports Braves on the Twitter sphere. Um, plenty of highlights and stuff going on there. We have a ton of stuff uh, all the time. So any Braves fans that are looking for anything else to follow, uh, that's where you can find us on on that addictive social media machine. Also, if you're really interested in the Charlotte Hornets, Memphis Grizzlies, who else we got? Not <laughs> Nashville Predators, uh, Carolina Hurricanes, that one? You have all, yeah. these, all these teams you have to cover. I, I don't envy you sometimes, but uh, you, do, you do a great job, my friend, so thank you. Yeah, we uh we have all those teams. We're like you're one of the few people in the world outside of our office that knows that um that we actually cover all those teams all here from Atlanta. So that's always a that's always a, a, a curveball for people that are like, wait, what? Well, you, you and you I get, talk uh you and I talk often offline, and I'll I'll be asking you something, and you're like, no, no, I have to cover the Hornets tonight. And it's like, oh yeah, you you cover the Hornets. That's right, I forgot. Yeah, shout, shout out to Mitch Kupchak and, and the crew up there now. <laughs> uh, trust me, I've been fighting the temptation to pivot into into Hawks talk for about the last 15 minutes, so I'm going to keep fighting it, but uh, thank you, sir, for joining me. All right, me and Trey Young are out. We'll see you. As for everybody else, uh, please subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you like to listen to the podcast. We should be there, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>